it is one of the most fascinating questions. <laughs> you know, not not just whether he's going to run, but how she feels about it. Because again, I think if you go back and you look at his decisions to both run and not run, she has been the driver, right? When he has run, it has been because she truly felt he could be a success. That was one of our guests, Julie Pace, who joins us today with her co-author, Darlene Superville, about their new book, Jill, The Biography of the First Lady. I'm Mark Updegrove, President and CEO of the LBJ Foundation. And I'm Mark Lawrence, Director of the LBJ Presidential Library. And this is With the Bark Off. In their portrait of Mrs. Biden, Darlene Superville and Julie Pace tell the story of a young middle-class girl from the Philadelphia suburbs who would become a college professor, the wife of a young aspiring senator from Delaware, strong matriarch of the Biden family, and the second lady of the United States. And then, when her husband's political career looked as though it may be over, she became our first lady. Darlene and Julie, welcome to With the Bark Off. We're delighted to have you. Thanks Thank for, you having, for us. having us. Darlene, Jill Tracy Jacobs, now First Lady Jill Biden, hails from modest middle-class beginnings in suburban Philadelphia, Hatboro and Willowgrove, Pennsylvania. Tell us about her background and how it shaped her. She, as you mentioned, comes from a family of modest means, middle-class means. Her uh, One side of her family was from Italy. And she, to this day, still has fond memories that she talks of in, in many of her public appearances about her Italian grandparents and making pasta and the bread and the coffee um, and those kinds of memories. And um, she went to public schools, high school, went to a junior college before she enrolled in the University of Delaware. Um, and so her middle-class background kind of really shaped her. She came from a, um, her parents were married for a long time. Her mom stayed at home. Whenever she came home from school, her mother was always there. Her father was out working. And she described her childhood to us as basically an idyllic childhood, um, carefree, lots of fun. And I think you see those values still reflected in her today. In, as she's going about her, her duties and responsibilities as, as First Lady. Julie, how would you characterize the personality of Jill Biden? You know, she is, um, she's a very warm person. She is a bit irreverent. She has this, this, um, this really almost uh, biting, and I mean that in a good way, kind of sense of humor that I think that you, know, you see glimpses of when she is in public uh, you know, at events or on the campaign trail, but really just glimpses of it. And I think the people who, you know, know her best, you know, talk about that quite a bit, just how funny she is. Um, but she's quite, you know, she's quite relatable. And I think Darlene talks about, you know, her background and and how how seemingly normal, you know, it is. And I think that that does help her in a variety of settings. And the, the, the word I kept coming back to, you know, throughout the process of reporting about her and writing on her was just, again, relatable. Mm. At a relatively young age, she gets married to her first husband, Bill Stevenson, but the marriage is short-lived. What, what happens? 
Well, you know, this is a really interesting period of time, you know, for her. You know, she, as Darlene says, you know, her parents have been married for 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 years, and they have what, in her mind, is that kind of perfect happy marriage, and it's what she wants. And so she meets Bill um, quite early, uh, and and they get married very very young, and it just fairly quickly starts to unravel, you know, and it's. Not a story that it's a story that's like I think a lot of people experience when you get married quite young is they they just started to move in different directions and their lives their lives were not aligning and when the marriage falls apart you know it's quite devastating for her because again she thinks you get married and you're married for decades and you have children and that's what she thought she was going to have and so it's not just the the marriage itself you know that she's mourning the loss of it's the the whole idea of what her life was going to look like. And it, it really, I think, becomes, you know, at that point in her life, certainly a real, a real low moment. Is, is it acrimony? What is the reason for the deterioration of the marriage? Were you able to, to, to get a sense of that? No, we were not really able to get a sense of that. Um, divorce papers, divorce records are not generally available in the state of Delaware, which is where they were divorced. And uh, we did, we were able to reach out to and get in touch with Bill Stevenson, but he declined to talk about what happened um, and why the marriage fell apart. But as Julie described, they did get married very young and just seemed to start to grow apart uh, after a few years with their lives going in different directions. So, So Darlene, in a remarkable and in some ways historical twist of fate, uh, Bill Stevenson becomes swept up in the Senate campaign of this young 29-year-old up-and-comer, the Democratic Senate campaign of Joe Biden in Delaware. And when Biden wins, she and Bill attend Biden's victory party, where Jill meets Biden's then-wife, Nelia. And she said of that moment, I didn't know much about her, but in that instant, I thought about how picturesque their family was, the husband young senator trying to better the world, his beautiful, loving wife representing their family, always there to cheer him on, and three adorable kids. Here they were with the world at their feet, taking on the political establishment and winning. Then several weeks later, this picturesque family is shattered. Talk about that moment and how it changed the world of Joe Biden. As you describe... Joe Biden's then wife, Nelia, was, uh, it was Christmas time. Joe Biden had just been elected to the Senate. Uh, here he is, 29 years old, um, sort of not even old enough at that point to really be a senator, but his birthday was coming a couple weeks after that. Um, his wife had taken the children to go buy a Christmas tree, and their car was collided with a truck. Uh, she died, the baby daughter, who was about a year and a half old, she was killed also, and the two boys, Bo and Hunter, were severely injured. And so in just the space of a couple of weeks, you had Joe Biden at one of the highest moments of his life, right, being elected to the Senate at this very young age, uh, toppling a longtime uh, senator in Delaware, and then having his whole world basically come crashing down in this one moment in this car accident and car collision. Um, and Jill Biden's life, when you read the book and you become familiar with her story, there are all of these coincidences where she sort of, she knows the Bidens. She met Nelia at this party. 
there's another moment in time where she actually met Joe, and this was well before they started dating. Um, and then she also knows Joe Biden's brother, who's the one that introduces her to Joe and they start dating and then get married. So it's just a fascinating um, multi-layered life of coincidences between Jill Biden and the Biden family. And I think it also says a lot about the state of Delaware. You know, Delaware is a small state. And so it's one of these places where, you know, people kind of joke, but you can see in some ways it's, it's true. You know, everyone's sort of connected in some way. And, you know, it becomes kind of the story of their life in Delaware. Now, if you talk to anybody in Delaware, they have some personal story to some connection to somebody in the Biden family. And you can see even the ways in which that transpired, you know, early in the in the Jill and Joe story as well. So, Julie, as, as Darlene suggests, uh, it is Biden's brother, Jimmy, who makes this connection between uh, Joe Biden and uh, and at the time, Jill Stevenson. So how does that connection come about? Why does that connection come about? And and talk about their early courtship, the two of yeah. them. It's a it's it's a pretty funny story. So that Joe is with his brother and uh, Jill, who is you know quite particularly as a younger woman, is quite striking. And she gets asked by a friend to uh, to pose for an advertisement, to model for an advertisement. And Joe comes across this picture of her and says, oh my gosh, who is this woman? And again, the state of Delaware being that small state that it is, uh, his brother's like, oh, hey, I actually know this woman. Hey, you want me to introduce you? He's like, yeah, please. You know, and this is, this is some time has passed, you know, since his, since his wife uh, has, has died. And, you know, he's, he's ready to start dating again. You know, he's, he has these young sons uh, who he's been raising on his own, really. His sister has moved in with them. You know, his life has, Kind of revolved around you know making sure that they're okay after the death of their mother and their sister but he's ready to start dating and so he gets set up with with jill uh and she's a little bit skeptical you know one of the things i always think about in these moments is you know it's it's so interesting because he's already a senator right i mean she mm. knows almost exactly not exactly what it's going to be like but she knows i'm going to go on a date with someone who is famous, who's in politics, who's a sitting, a sitting center. And this is just not appealing to her. <laughs> she has no interest really in doing this. She's like, I'll go, but I, this is not, this is not going to be great. I, I'm not really excited about this, about this date. And he shows up and he's in a suit coat and she's just like, oh, it's going to be so stuffy. And I'm not really looking forward <laughs> to this night. And then they go out and, and they both talk about, you know, they, they really hit it off, you know, right from the start. It's totally different than what she is expecting, you know, he's warm, he's funny, he is relatable as well, despite the fact that he has, has this, this big prominent job in, in politics. Uh, and, you know, that, that really starts their story together. And yet, Darlene, despite the many marriage proposals from Joe Biden, Jill is reluctant to accept. <laughs> and it almost becomes yeah. a family affair, as Julie suggests, that the, the Biden kids love Jill and, and she becomes really a part of their family but but again, declines the, the 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 frequent marriage proposals of Senator Biden. Why does she is she reluctant to to marry him, and why does she eventually relent? Right, and just follow, just to follow up on what Julie was saying a moment ago, I think another uh, aspect of their first dating and their early courtship was. Julie mentioned that at the date they didn't talk about politics and, at all, and. I think that was one of the things that Joe found refreshing about Jill. 
because he was already a senator, he was um, considered one of the most eligible bachelors at the time. Everyone was trying to get to know Joe, and she just didn't seem interested in politics at all um, and that part of his life. And he found that very, very interesting. Mm. Um, to go back to the five marriage proposals, part of it has to part of it has to do with her parents and her parents' long marriage and her failed marriage. And she'd already been married, thought she would be married for, for life for a long time, and it didn't work out. And she was crushed, as we've talked about already. And so uh, she was hesitant to, to take that step again, um, wanting to be really certain that if she did it again, it would last. The other thing I think that was a factor for her was um, Bo and Hunter. They had become uh, very attached to her, had fallen in love with her. She says she fell in love with the boys before she fell in love with Joe. And she knew that they'd already lost one mother. And if she went into this relationship, the second relationship, and it didn't work out, they'd be losing another mother again, a mother again. And she she didn't want that for, for the boys either. So it's the boys and it's just her own feelings of um, failure at marriage the first time around that kind of hold her from hold her back from finally saying yes until that fifth time when he kind of gives her a little bit of an ultimatum right <laughs> but more than a little bit it's 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 <laughs> about if you don't say it's, it's a, a true ultimatum <laughs> so why does that eventually work julie why does that uh, that fifth marriage proposal and ultimatum finally work in changing the mind of of jill stevenson Look, sometimes I think you got to lay out the ultimatum, right? I mean, I think that I think that was that really was it. It was it was, you know, no longer this idea that she could kind of stay in the relationship, stay close to the family, but not make that ultimate commitment. You know, he he felt he was speaking not just on behalf of him, but on on behalf of the boys. You know, if this is not going to work out, if this is if you're not going to be part of our family for the long haul, like I have to move on because of, because of these boys. And I think. You know, so much of so much of their life, as you say, was that was that family affair. And I think it, for her, it was that idea that, you know, again, if I can't if I'm not ready to make this commitment now, you know, I do need to walk away. And that's when she decided, actually, she didn't want to walk away, that she wanted to be a part of, of the family, you know, and and people around him, you know, around Joe really had given her credit at that point for not just the way that she related to the boys and, 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 you know, her ability to step in and, you know, serve as that mother figure, but, you know, she, she really brought Joe Biden back. You know, she, she was able to kind of revive, you know, his own joy, um, you know, get him out of, you know, the depths of, of quite a bit of despair. Uh, and, and, and it's a really, it's kind of a remarkable story, you know, what she did for, again, for, for that whole family. She talks about a moment where, uh, there's one morning and she's at Joe's house. I think the boys have already gone off to school and she's alone there doing dishes or something. And the door opens or someone knocks at the door and it turns out to be Joe's mother. And she comes in and uh, Jill thinks that the mother wants to see Joe, but Joe's mother really wanted to see Jill. And what she wanted to do was thank Jill and say, you know, thank you for letting Joe learn to love again or something to that effect. So, so how do you, I would love to hear both of your views on this, how, how do you describe this relationship? What, what, um, what characterizes them as a couple? What do they give one another? Support, um, love. Um, they're, I think they're each other's best advocate. Uh, she's certainly helping him a lot right now. 
in the presidency and in the administration. Uh, she gave his boys a mother. Mm. Um, those are some of the ways that I would describe it. Yeah, and I think, you know, in some ways it is it is both this um, very normal relationship, right? I mean, even though they've been in the public, the public eye for so long, you know, they, again, I go back to that idea of being relatable. You know, so much of what they do together, what their marriage is actually like is so normal, right? They spend time with their grandkids. They go to church together. They ride bikes together, right? They have this sort of very normal life. And yet I would also say that she is, you know, we always talk about first ladies as sort of like the, the secret political weapon, right? I, I don't know if she's so much of a sort of secret political weapon. She's actually like very, uh, very much kind of a part of his political story. You know, at the times when he has chosen to run for president successfully and unsuccessfully, you know, she's been a driving force behind the decision to move forward in the times when he's decided not to. She's been probably the main reason why, why he hasn't done it. And even at the beginning mm. of this administration, you know, Darlene was one of the first reporters to kind of to, to, to catch on to this at a time when he was really tied to Washington and he was not traveling that much because, in part because of COVID and, and health concerns and also just the need to, to really be in Washington, you know, on a regular basis. She was the one that was around the country. She was the representative. She was really in so many ways the face of the administration out on the road. And so I think, again, it's not even that she's sort of a secret weapon. I think she's very much, you know, a part of the political team. There's a relatability that she exudes as well, and it might have something to do with her, her background. You, you, you use the word grounded in the book as well. There's a groundedness about her as, as, as well. How does she adapt once she marries Joe Biden? How does she adapt to political life, Darlene? That's a great question. Um, in the beginning, I think, she shied away from it um, for the most part. There was a period in time when she wanted to just focus on Bowen Hunter, being their mother, getting herself established in that role, building routines with them, going to their sports games, those kinds of things. Um, she didn't move to Washington. She stayed in Delaware. Um, many spouses at least in those days, would move the family, would come to Washington. She didn't. She stayed in Delaware. She continued her teaching career, which is something that's very important to her, which I also think is another, um, another one of those things that grounds her and gives her perspective and an identity that she can call her own. Um, and so those are some of the things that that make her relatable and that ground her. Julie mentioned spending time with the grandkids. Um, but then as his career uh, progresses and he's reelected again and again to the Senate, he runs for president once, twice, a third time, she comes out of the shadows, so to speak, a lot more and is out campaigning for him, giving speeches when he can't be there to give speeches. Uh, just think back to, to, to the time of the um, Senate confirmation hearings for Robert Bork when he was nominated to be uh, Supreme Court Justice. Biden was also campaigning at that time to be president and juggling the hearings. She was out in Iowa campaigning for him when he couldn't be there because he was tied in the Senate with the hearings. Um, and we saw in this last presidential campaign, again, she was out 
giving speeches, going to people's houses, doing coffee clutches, uh, even rushing up on stage to to uh, prevent protesters from getting up on the stage who were trying to um, interrupt his remarks. So it's been a gradual progression, I think, with her in terms of uh, becoming more of a political spouse and political operator, if you will. Darlene, is it a role that you think comes naturally to her or that one that she has had to strive to achieve? No, it's definitely one that she's had to strive to achieve and to become more comfortable with. I've heard her talk in the past about um, practicing her speeches so that she wouldn't get tongue-tied or get over the stage fright. She she was not a public speaker, um, but she's gradually grown into the role and she knows she knows what an asset she is to this president and she's willingly stepped up, which is a phrase that she uses, step up. She's stepped up uh, to the moment and uh, is performing those functions. So Julie, uh, Jill Biden goes through the vicissitudes of Biden's career in Washington, including two failed presidential bids in, in one in 1988 and the other in 2008. And then after Biden gets chosen as Barack Obama's running mate in 2008, followed by their election win, she becomes second lady. How does she make her mark in that role? You know, the role of second lady is so interesting. And actually, you know, one of the things I learned, Mark, through this this uh, process is that Darlene Superville does not like the term second lady. <laughs> Darlene, <laughs> I learned that about, about Darlene, one of my colleagues for years. That was a new fun fact that I learned. Um, but, you know, it is, it's a strange title, actually. And it's a bit of a strange job because you are... You know, you're you're in this uh, ceremonial role the way that first lady is ceremonial, but you're much more low profile. You know, you're 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 much um, more uh, you're you're able to kind of pick and choose. I think a bit more than than you are as first lady and how much you want to do, uh, how much you want to stay behind the scenes. And so Jill really tries to strike this balance. You know, she one of the things she wants to do is she wants to teach. She wants to make sure she can keep teaching. And actually, it seems fairly reasonable that as second lady she would be able to because again the demands kind of of the role are not you know as great as as they are uh, you know when you're first lady and obviously we'll talk a bit about you know how she's tried to strike that balance in in this role but she she makes clear that she's going to keep teaching uh she finds a way to be able to do this at a community college in northern virginia that becomes this really great community for her you know she talks about how uh, Nova, this community college, is much more diverse than the you know community colleges she worked at in Delaware. She uh, is working with a lot of students who are uh, you know immigrants to the United States, uh, women in particular, uh, a group of women who came to the U.S. from Afghanistan, and it becomes this great community to her. At the same time, she's kind of picking and choosing her spots in terms of the issues she's going to focus on as second lady. And some of those end up being issues that she works on with Michelle Obama, the first lady, uh, one of them being uh, military families. And this is an issue that is really relevant at that time in the country because we are still uh, in the midst of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so you have so many families across the country who are dealing with loved ones who are serving overseas. And Bo Biden, you know, her son is uh, is a reservist and and is is going to mm. go to Afghanistan, and so you know it becomes this uh, it becomes this this kind of passion project for her, and one where she gets to work alongside Michelle Obama as well. So uh, I want to get to that, um, Dar Darlene. The, the the relationship between Barack Obama 
and Joe Biden, the White House uh, of Barack Obama would have had you believe was a bromance. And clearly the relationship is a whole lot more complicated than that. But there is uh, an undeniably close relationship between Barack Obama uh, and, uh, and Joe Biden, albeit a complicated one. How would you describe the relationship between Michelle Obama and Jill Biden? I will not use the term second lady. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they they had a good working relationship, and I would even go as far as to call it uh, a friendship. They uh, obviously don't see each other day to day or week to week now, just given the roles that they're in, the different stations in life where they're at. But back then, they did a lot of things together. Julie mentioned the um, Joining Forces program where they worked together to rally the country to help military families and support them. Um, and there was a jobs component to that. Um, they traveled to military bases together. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other things they did, but usually there is, or historically there has been kind of a aloofness or a frostiness between first ladies and second ladies, but that wasn't evident at all between Jill and Michelle. It was a genuinely warm relationship, it mm -hmm. seems. Yeah. Yes. A, a mm -hmm. critical juncture for Joe and Jill Biden comes in 2015, where they're considering whether he should run for the presidency in 2016. But it comes in the wake of the tragic death of their son, Beau, which, which clearly shakes the Biden family. You quote Jill in the book as saying, you can't just lose a child and then think you can get out on the campaign trail. You just can't. So what was the deciding factor in Biden not running in 2016, Julie? You know, this was a really fascinating sort of time to go back and explore. Darlene and I both covered the White House during the time that Biden was making this decision. So we were covering it in real time and, and, and now got to go back and, and, and get more perspective on it. And, I th you know, I think one of the things that was kind of fascinating in reporting this out is, you know, <laughs> there was this effort by the people around Joe and Jill to try to give them an extraordinary amount of space and time to reach a decision, whether it was going to be yes or no. You know, they they would continue to give them presentations, you know, about, okay, this is probably the deadline, you know, but we're going to have to make a decision because of fundraising. Uh, then that deadline would come and go with no decision. And they'd say, okay, now maybe we could keep extending this out a little bit longer. And they really kind of kept the option alive as long as possible um, even though I think that a lot of people knew that emotionally, just just mentally, that not only was Joe not ready, but but Jill and the family were not ready. And at one point, Jill actually verbalizes that in a meeting. She tells advisors when they start pressing for a decision, she goes, you know, we're not there yet. We're not ready. And I think ultimately they were never able to get past that, you know, that idea of when you run for president, it's not just you, it is your family and you have to, you have to be a hundred percent in, you have to be able to give everything you have to it. Um, in part, because if you win, as they now see, if you win, the job is so intense that you have to be fully available for it, right? You have to have, you have to be able to fully commit to it. And I think they're just never able to get to the point where they can actually envision, you know, making that commitment both through the campaign and then potentially beyond. But it is a, it's an extremely painful process for them to have to go through because in so many ways, you know, as someone who had wanted to be president for so long, having been the sitting vice president, you are somewhat set up for that next step. 
and to have this horrible family tragedy, you know, be the thing that really pushes you to to step aside, um, you know, is 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 so I think painful for them. And at the time, it feels like it's the end, right? It feels like that is the that is not just a decision about 2016. That's a decision about will Joe Biden ever be president or not. It has that it has that weightiness to it as well. And Darlene, in the book, you uh, you have. Uh... Joe Biden going on the late show with Stephen Colbert and, and saying exactly what Julie just said. You have to give it a hundred percent. He says, and he's not ready at that point to give it a hundred percent, but Hillary Clinton, of course, goes on to win the nomination of the democratic party, but lose the presidential election to Donald Trump. Was there regret after that on, on Biden's part for not throwing his hat in the ring uh, given the fact that the Democratic Party did not prevail and Donald Trump became the 45th president of the United States. Yeah, it's hard not to go through something like that, something political like that, and not um, not have a moment of regret or, man, if I only could have rallied and run. But the bottom line is that Losing Bo, it was just too raw and it was too close to the time when they would have had to make a final decision about whether to enter the race or not. So he probably did have second thoughts about it, but in the in the final analysis, the bottom line is that he just he just couldn't do it. He wouldn't he wouldn't have been able to do it. Um, seeing a little boy, he might have burst into tears. He's a very emotional um man and president and it, it just would have been difficult joy joe biden has gone through unimaginable tragedy in his life including the the death of his son Bo, uh, which uh, comes after losing his wife and daughter uh, so many years earlier what sustains joe biden in in, in the face of tragedy I think it's a few things. I mean, I think, and he's, he speaks, he speaks very movingly about this. I think one is his faith. You know, he is um, quite a religious uh, person. He goes to church, you know, every week. Um, And I think his faith um, is one of those things that he leaned into and has leaned into during times of tragedy. Whereas with Jill, actually, you know, she has said that Bo's death shook her faith, right? For him, it became this source of comfort. For her, it became it became something she questioned, uh, which is you know very fascinating how they both responded to to Bo's death in, in in different ways. I do think that Jill is one of the people he leans on. I think he becomes incredibly reliant on her, and I think she knows that. I think she knows that you know she she is such a a, a source of support. You know, he also is this person who, you know, he is an extrovert. So, you know, he leans into people and his job. And he was back at the White House, you know, relatively quickly after Bo died, back at work. She spent a significant period of time away. You know, she she didn't come back to Washington. She didn't she didn't really get back out there and into her into her schedule and, and into her events. And I think, you know, for him you know, he, he, maybe it's somewhat distracting for him and that, that is helpful, but, but being around people is another thing that I think has really sort of helped him through a lot of these really dark moments. And beyond Jill, there's also just the family, right? He also leans on his son and his daughter. The grandkids are very important to him as well. Absolutely. You should have mentioned, of course, that, that after the Bidens marry, they have a, a daughter, Ashley, who comes into the family and joins 
Hunter Biden and Bo Biden at that time. So the, they become mm-hmm. a, a whole family unit. When Jill Biden introduces her husband at the Democratic National Convention in Jill's hometown of, of Philadelphia in the summer of 2016, as Julie alluded to earlier, Biden delivers what many consider will be his farewell speech. He's as though he is bowing out of politics irrevocably, but but that's not to be. So, Darlene, why does Joe Biden, well into his 70s, decide to run for the presidency in 2020? Two words, Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Joe Biden will tell you that uh, he was out. He wasn't going to run again. He had no intentions of running. He, um, before Bo died, he had visions of Bo one day occupying the Oval Office. But uh, Joe was sitting around his home in Delaware and Donald Trump was elected. Several months after that, there was this um, racist rally in Charlottesville. Biden will talk about the guys that came out of the woods with tiki torches and chanting all sorts of ugly things. And Biden will tell you that that was the moment when he decided that he had to get into the race. basically to save the country. He talks about the battle for the soul of America, right? And uh, so that was his motivation, uh, basically, for getting in. And Julie, where, where does Jill stand on that decision? Is she reluctant to, to thrust back into the political world? She's all in at that point. You know, she's actually one of the people at that point who is uh, most fervently uh, arguing that he should get in. She she sees it as this unique moment. Again, they sort of have come back to the brink where they think he's, his political career is over, but they feel like in this moment, you know, the the what they see as a crisis facing the country is so enormous uh, that they think that he is one of the few people who could step in and shift direction. And, you know, what's interesting about it is that the theory of the case that they have at that time about the coalition that he could put together, the kind of argument that he could make for the country ends up being quite consistent with the strategy that his campaign actually runs. You know, and it's a strategy that is derided in some democratic circles during the campaign. It's one that is seen as, um, you know, naive or out of touch with the party, but it, it is ultimately one that succeeds. In, in the beginning of the book, you quote Lady Bird Johnson, who said of the unofficial job of first lady, there are no requirements for the job you do what makes your heart sing. What makes Jill Biden's heart sing, Darlene? Teaching, number one, is one of the things that makes her heart sing. Uh, she talks a lot about uh, her love of teaching. She uh, addressed the National PTA Convention recently and said she's been a teacher for 38 years, which got me to wondering, when will she retire? She just turned 70 <laughs> and is still going strong. Um, she uh, loves to help military families. Uh, her father was in the Navy. Her son, Bo, was in the Delaware Army National Guard. Uh, that is something that gives her a lot of joy working with those families. Um, her own family is a source of joy. Her grandkids, many of them are often at the White House with her last weekend when they came back from Delaware. Uh, her oldest granddaughter and the granddaughter's fiance uh, arrived back with the Bidens for the weekend. Um, so it's a combination of things, teaching, um, military families, her own family, Joe, uh, and even in this moment in her life right now, serving the country, trying to do a good job, uh, helping the administration, 
She spent much of last year trying to encourage people to go out and get vaccinated against COVID-19, to vaccinate their kids, if they'd gotten vaccinated, to go get booster shots. Uh, I think she would say that she's proud of everything she did last year, too. Julie, what kind of mark do you think Jill Biden wants to make on the role of first lady? You know, I think one of the things that's really important to her is showing that this role can be modernized. You know, she's the first person to hold this role who has had a job outside of the White House, you know, maintaining that level of independence, showing that, yes, you can do all of the supportive and ceremonial um, aspects of the job, uh, you know, be there for your spouse who's in the top job, but also maintain some level of independence. I actually think that's really important to her. And I think it will be part of her legacy wherever Wherever the Biden presidency ends up, I think one of her marks on the on the role of first lady will be, you know, showing that it's someone who can who can be independent uh, and and have their own and have their own career. You both cover the White House for the Associated Press, so I'd be remiss in not asking you how you think Joe Biden has performed as president to this point in his tenure. And I'd like to, to hear your both of your thoughts on that, Darlene. Do you want to start? I was going to give it to give the floor to Julie. <laughs> I will take it. I will take it. Look, I think it's, you know, we're, we're, we're not even at the midway point yet. Um, and so I think it's a story that is certainly still unfolding. And I think it's a mixed bag. You know, I think that uh, a lot of what Joe Biden set out to do was to, was less about specific policies that he wanted to pass or, you know, legislation he was hoping to sign so much of it was about um, trying to ease the divisions in the country, trying to you know lower the temperature. And, and and look, I don't think you could argue that that has been a success so far. You know, I think we are every bit as divided uh, as we were coming into his presidency. I think that you know this question, you know, of whether some of what we saw emerge, some of the dynamics we saw emerge uh, in the country during the presidency of Donald Trump, were those, you know, just a blip or were those going to be sustained? I think you'd have to argue that some of them are going to be sustained. Uh, and so I think that, you know, that part of his presidency at this point is is at the very least an incomplete. And then he's just being buffeted by, you know, some really just just really difficult circumstances. The economy, certainly mm-hmm. uh, the, the impact of inflation. Uh, we have a Supreme Court, you know, that is, uh, shifting to the right and making, you know, big impactful decisions on, on abortion and guns. Uh, we have uh, gun violence, crime, you know, that is up in many, in many places. So he's facing a very difficult set of circumstances. Uh, that said, you know, Darlene and I also covered uh, Barack Obama, you know, who at this point in his, in his presidency was also facing difficult circumstances, uh, had a self-proclaimed shellacking in the midterms and then went on to comfortably win re-election. So I think you know, anything is possible in politics. And, and we're quite early, I think, in the in the overall story of the Biden presidency. One of the criticisms has been that that Joe Biden hasn't chosen a lane. On the one hand, he campaigned as a moderating force. On the other hand, many think he, that he has been co-opted by the, the, the left. Uh, do you get a sense, Darlene, as to where Jill Biden stands? Is she a, a, a moderate? Is she a progressive? Where do you think Jill Biden believes her husband should be? That's an interesting question. Uh, one of the things that she did tell us when we spoke to her for the book was that she, um, all those years ago, she wasn't interested in politics on that first date with Joe Biden, and she still isn't interested in politics. She said that flat out to us. 
Um, but there are moments when she does go out and, and advocate for certain things. Uh, I mentioned uh, remarks that she did a couple days ago to the National PTA, and she came out in that speech and called on parents and teachers to fight and to press Congress to pass the gun, the gun control compromise that the House is going to be voting on soon and sending to the president. Um, so in that regard, she, I was going to say she's probably maybe a little bit more progressive, but then again, the issue of gun safety and keeping children safe in schools um, shouldn't necessarily be progressive or conservative issue, right? It's just wanting your children to be safe. So it's it's hard to pin her down, I think, on where she is politically. She's obviously a Democrat. Um, but and I think not, I mean the one thing I would say yeah. yeah the one thing I would say about about her and I think this applies to him as well is they sort of bristle at that idea of like centrist versus yeah. leftist versus you know yeah. progressive. They 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 tend to view things um you know, almost as uh, certainly as as Democrats, um, but they tend to sort of bristle at those those kind of uh, those, those labels, you know, markers and labels on things. Um, I think there are certainly issues where she, you know, probably wishes that her husband were, was more aggressive. Um, but also, I think that neither, you know, think about the age that they're that they are. You know, they they are older. Um, you know, I think there are aspects of the kind of far left flank of the Democratic Party that they also don't really understand or don't think are good. For the country overall, if you think about the prism through which they have approached this job, which again is, I think, much less about a specific policy that they should be moving on, and more about kind of the the idea of of, of breaking down those hardened divisions. You know, I think that is much more important to them than any any specific policy. So, Julie, understanding that the Bidens have been in the White House for just uh, about a year and a half, how would you rate Jill Biden's performance as first lady? Interesting, Mark, because I feel like in a lot of ways, she still is a bit of an unknown figure to many Americans. I think, you know, it's part of what compelled us to write this book is that, you know, she's she's both this name, you know, but this person that you maybe don't. And I feel like, you know, she uh, she has approached the job in almost a methodical way, you know, picking issues to work on being a presence sort of out in the country, but there haven't been, you know, those sort of big standout moments, you know, I would say positive or negative. Uh, like we've seen with Melania Trump or with Michelle Obama, you know, she's she's been much more, um, uh, you know, much more, I would say, measured in the ways that she uh, interacts with the public. So I think that her story is also very much, very much unfolding. Uh, and I think that, you know, whether she looks for moments to kind of grab the spotlight in a bigger way, I think will be an interesting part of the second half of this uh, term, you know, from from her standpoint. Uh, you mentioned that uh, Jill Biden just turned 70. Joe Biden will turn 80 later this year. Uh, it, the oldest president in the history of our nation, which brings up questions as to whether he will run in 2024, whether he will be a candidate for the office that he now holds. Do you get a sense of where Jill Biden stands on that decision and whether her husband should to take on another term as president of the United States? It is one of the most fascinating questions. <laughs> you know, not, not just whether he's going to run, but how she feels about it. Because again, I think if you go back and you look at the arc of his decision-making around his, his decisions to both run and not run, she has been the driver, right? When he has run, 
it has been because she truly felt, even in 2008, where he really flamed out quite quickly, she actually went into that campaign believing that he could be a success. She actually felt like he was well-positioned there. She was wrong. Her instincts were wrong on that one, but she was a key driver on that. And then moments like 2004, where he decides not to run, you know, it, she is a, a, a vocal opponent to that campaign. So I think how she falls on that question is actually probably the most important uh, piece of reporting that any of us can do in terms of determining whether he's really going to move forward with a, a, a re-election campaign or not. Darlene, what do you think? I agree with Julie. Uh, we haven't heard her uh, talk about this subject yet or no journalists have had an opportunity to ask what she thinks about whether he should run again for a second term, but certainly her opinion will be very influential with him. And I should correct one thing. I said she turned 70. She turned 71. Oh, 71, right. Yes, yes. Uh, so if, if you are writing the headline for the Biden uh, presidency uh, to this point, what, what is it? How would you characterize what Biden has accomplished as president to this point in his tenure? Oh, that's a good question. This is going to expose me as a terrible headline writer. <laughs> always been my weak point. I would say I would yeah. say it's 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 you know it's it's some version of you know unfulfilled promises because again I get back to that sort of central promise of his of his campaign, which was to try to ease so many of these divisions in the country. And I, I think that is very much unfulfilled at this point. The divisions still stick, as you said earlier, and there's so much that, that remains to be done uh, based on the, the, uh, the Biden agenda, the one that he laid out for the American people in his campaign and shortly into his presidency. Well, the, the book is Jill, a biography of the First Lady, and our wonderful guests today have been Julie Pace and Darlene Superville. Julie, Darlene, thank you so much for being with us. Thank, thank you, you Mark. for having us on. My thanks to our sponsors, the Moody Foundation and St. David's Healthcare, and as always, to you for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Mark Eptegrove. See you next time.